Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 13. Um, I neglected to look up where that is in the uh, Pew Bibles, but it's in the New Testament somewhere. These uh, last three weeks, we were looking at the Great Commission. Uh, I first had the idea of preaching through that passage over the summer, and like most of my best ideas, it was somebody else's idea first. I think it was Jack Miller. Uh, But it was providential that we ended up doing that passage kind of right on the heels of the session, presenting our new mission and vision for LVPC, because the new vision is broken neatly into three sections, like any good Reformed sermon. And uh, each section has a verse or passage associated with it. The last section said we wanted to be a fruitful and multiplying church, and the support verse for that was the Great Commission passage. So hopefully those last three sermons were kind of reinforcing our vision for the church. But now I have, I I discovered by a misallocation of time, I have two weeks between now and Advent where I didn't have plans. And uh, I thought it would make sense to maybe work our way backward kind of through the vision passages a little bit. So I wanted to look at this Hebrews passage, which is sort of the support verse for section the second section of the vision about being a a hospitable church. I assume most of you have seen the mission and vision. There's additional copies in the back I made for this week, uh, but uh, you don't need it right now. My job is not to preach the vision, but to preach the word of God, which defines the mission. So we're going to look at these first two verses of Hebrews 13. That's all, just the two. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Let's pray that prayer we pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Who here knows what hospitality means? Boy, that's a... Sad number. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, no need to shout it out or anything. Come on, guys. Um, how many of you aren't really sure what hospitality means? Not, not in all circumstances, maybe, right? I, I'll admit this. I, I Googled hospitality definition just to be sure of these things. Um, and I, I found that it says, noun, the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. And, you know, when you Google these kinds of things, they always give you an example sentence, how to use this in a sentence. And this was the example sentence on Google. Scotland is renowned for its hospitality. (laughs) Which made me chuckle a bit. Royce would have said that depended probably on how English the visitors were. But, um, yeah, interesting, interesting. I'm assuming I'm not alone here, but I think hospitality is one of those things that's easier to understand in theory than in practice. Uh, It's kind of just an idea and a concept, and it's, 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 it's hard to actually do. People will sometimes talk about, you know, they'll talk about Southern hospitality, right? That's the reputation, which some people would say is rather exaggerated, but the reputation that the South of the Mason Dixon line, people are always welcoming and friendly and pleasant. Now, that's irrelevant. We're all living in Pennsylvania, right? I'm working on the assumption that this form of hospitality is completely foreign to us, right? 
We are all typical Northeasterners, and most of us could kind of take you or leave you, right? Maybe it's the weather. I don't know. Uh, Georgia and I have been to New England a couple times, and um, uh, it always kind of strikes us that the people become even less friendly the further north you go. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the people become colder along with the climate, which maybe explains why Scandinavian television is so dark and moody. But um, if I'm honest, you know, like, look, I'm, I'm from Philly. So obviously it's not just the weather. There's, there's something else there. Uh, there there's, there's a reason we have the reputation that we do. You know, they may call it the city of brotherly love, and that's cute and everything, but nobody's really buying that, right? Uh, there was an anthem that became popular when the Eagles made it to the Super Bowl a few years back, and I, I think it sums up Philadelphia's approach to everything, including hospitality, and I can't quote every lyric of it in polite company, but the main theme of the song was, no one likes us, we don't care. And that sort of sums up nicely how many, if not most of us, feel in reality most of the time. Hospitality is not a natural strength for many of us because hospitality requires dealing with people. How many of you have ever worked in the hospitality industry or what they call the hospitality industry? Okay, handful of you. That includes what, what, food service, hotels, traveling, you know, whatever it may be, right? Did you like working in the hospitality industry? Gee, of course you didn't. Why? Because people are awful. That's why. I've spent half of my life in the hospitality industry, and I could write a book. Most of those years were spent in the food service portion of that. That's bad enough, because people are weird about food. Maybe we're all weird about food, but when you're working in food service, you have to actually deal with these people. You know, like, if my kids are picky, that's just at home, right? I can reprimand them, I can even punish them for being overly picky, right? But with customers, you have to pretend every request is completely normal and act pleasant while you cater to their every whim. And there are people who just love to complain. And it's not just food, right? I spent one very unpleasant summer working in housing at Penn State. And I learned firsthand just how disgusting students are. Let's just say sanitation is not their strength. It's not something that parents are teaching, apparently. The people who clean dorm rooms and hotel rooms, they are heroes. Tip your cleaning, ladies, people. Um, my two oldest girls work in food service now, and I encourage this because it is a necessary life skill, I think, to know how to deal with the public. But it's not always an enjoyable life skill, is it? Uh, one of my girls this past week was reenacting some of her more eccentric customers. And I was in stitches because we did the same thing back in my deli days. I could imitate every one of my regulars complete with all the quirks. And we all do this as a coping mechanism because people are hard to deal with. And to work in hospitality requires more than just serving the food and making the beds, right, doesn't it? It requires a smile and friendliness and warmth if you're going to do it well. It means not letting people feel like they're imposing and that they're making everything awkward, even if they are. Uh, even if you have a million special requests and needs and quirks, you have to pretend it's all normal, keep smiling and assuring them, oh, no, it's no problem at all, which makes hospitality very, very difficult. But Scripture informs us 
that hospitality is not only a virtue, it is a necessary part of what it means to be the church. Hospitality is something that we are explicitly commanded to do, and not only in this passage. It's sort of a theme throughout the New Testament and and the Old as well. But in Romans 12, Paul includes it in a list of items that the ESV summarizes as the marks of a true Christian. He says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and, sort of the icing on the cake, seek to show hospitality. Hospitality is explicitly commanded. But even more than it is explicitly commanded, it is frequently just demonstrated throughout the New Testament. Time fails me to go through all of that. But we saw it again and again when we were going through the book of Acts. I've preached multiple hospitality sermons at this point. Throughout all of Paul's adventures, we see him staying with different people, and throughout his epistles, we see him thanking God for the hospitality and kindness that was shown to him by these same people. We see new believers hosting missionaries. We see whole churches meeting in the houses of believers. Hospitality is sort of the assumed posture of the church. And even the way the author of Hebrews words it here, he doesn't say, hey, guys, Go be hospitable, right? What does he say? He says, don't forget to show hospitality. The command is not even directly to be hospitable. The command, the imperative, is not to forget. Remember your manners. That's what he's saying here. Hospitality is the oil that keeps the gears of the gospel moving. The New Testament writers don't even need to go into a long diatribe about the specifics of hospitality and its importance, in part because it's so obvious it barely needs saying. But we live in a different time now. Things have changed. Our culture has changed. This is not Roman Judea. This is not the ancient Near East. We live in the affluent West in the 21st century. We have more wealth than ever, but we're more private. We're less open. Hospitality, as it was known in Bible times, is almost unheard of by today's standards. John Calvin lamented that the same was true even in his day, 500 years ago. In his commentary on verse 2, he says this. He says, this office of humanity, i.e. hospitality, has nearly ceased to be properly observed among men, for the ancient hospitality celebrated in histories is unknown to us, and inns now supply the place of accommodation to strangers. And what Calvin is lamenting there, and which is even more true today, is that we have taken hospitality and we have made an industry of it and we have outsourced hospitality to professionals. And while most of us have worked, or many of us, I should say, have worked in the industry of hospitality or will at some point, almost none of us aspire to continue in it. We live in a culture where doing such menial tasks is considered beneath us. If you're still in food service past your 20s, people think you never grew up. And as far as room service goes, most hotels have to hire immigrants because not even the poorest Americans want to stoop to that kind of work in many hotels and motels. Maybe in high-end hotels, but the seedy places off the highway, nah. 
They're not hiring too many recent college grads. I think we as a culture have a pretty watered down idea of hospitality. We don't, we don't think of ourselves as unwelcoming or rude or unfriendly, but our idea of hospitality is often little more than lip service. It's kind of the equivalent of putting a welcome mat in front of the door. It might even say welcome right on there. A lot of them do, right? But we, we don't invite too many people past the threshold. It's kind of like our door at our house. Uh, some of you know that we, we painted our front door blue. We did that because we read somewhere in a real estate website or something that agents recommend doing that to help your door stand out and look even more welcoming. It helps you sell the place. We're not looking to sell. It just sounded like a nice idea. But most of you know that nobody uses our front door. Anybody who knows us uses the back door. Our front door is all show. Half of my kids don't even have the strength and know how to open the darn thing. When someone knocks at the front door, I immediately know that they're strangers. And when I go to answer, I'm immediately suspicious. I go to the door with my guard up. Because it's either the Jehovah's Witnesses, somebody is selling something, or it's a politician. I have no interest in any of the above. So while the doormat and the blue paint and the year-round Christmas wreath may say, welcome, my face and my attitude say, make it quick. I have two dogs, a 12-gauge, and a very busy schedule. I don't much care for strangers at my door. How about you? This is precisely why hospitality is such a challenge, and yet is so critical for the church. The Greek word that your Bible renders as hospitality is philoxenius, love of strangers. It's the opposite of xenophobia, the fear or dislike of outsiders and strangers, and it's actually a quite countercultural idea. Uh, some people are honestly not interested in strangers. Others like to virtue signal and pretend that they welcome strangers. It is fashionable to advertise how welcoming you are or your company is, or your campus, or your organization, right? Who doesn't want to be thought of as welcoming? We all want that. But nobody really welcomes everyone, and strangers are particularly sus, as the kids are saying these days. But this is exactly where the church must stand out from the culture. We have a problem in the church, in America today, because on one hand, we have some churches that are so bent on welcoming everybody that they drop the thread of the gospel along the way. So there are some churches, including in our city, that have prominent signs proclaiming, all are welcome, and then they surround it or have right against the background a rainbow flag. And sadly, they're not advertising their love for the Noahic covenant or anything like that, right? 
And those are churches that have allowed hospitality to trump the gospel, and that's bad. Hospitality, philoxenia, literally love the stranger. The problem is, is that that's not genuine love. Because to encourage people to live and die in their sin is not loving. You go back to that Romans passage I read earlier, let love be genuine, hate what is evil. Hospitality that makes the stranger more comfortable on his journey to hell is not hospitality, that's assisted suicide. It's the ecclesiastical version of a safe injection site. That's not the gospel and it is not love. But there's another danger of the pendulum swinging the opposite way too far. And I think that this is the problem that is more prevalent in doctrinally sound churches like ours. And that's the temptation to ignore the stranger entirely. And to pay lip service to hospitality while happily living in our bubble. I have heard people in conservative churches for years criticize the seeker-sensitive movement, right? And there can certainly be a danger in that movement because the church does not exist for seekers. It doesn't exist for us at all. It doesn't exist for the regulars either. It exists to glorify God, and we need to keep that in mind. But while we may not want to join the seeker-sensitive movement, it might be worth considering how we can welcome seekers anyway. Virtually every church has a sign somewhere announcing that people are welcome here. We have our own signs out front, right? They're not working. Um, (laughs) But I custom designed those bad boys myself to let people know that in spite of COVID, we were meeting in person. That's why they went up. But signs are easy. Uh, Any idiot, even me, can go on Vistaprint and look like a marketing genius designing these things, right? Truly welcoming strangers is another matter entirely. Because as Christians, we know that hospitality, we know that loving the stranger is part of the deal, so we put signs up, and we include a a welcoming sentence somewhere on our websites, right? And, And we do it in our bulletins too, right? All are welcome, a welcoming community, come as you are. We identify as hospitable people, just like everyone else. (laughs) But I think that if we're honest, we all kind of have a picture in our head of the kind of stranger we prefer to show up. The ideal stranger will be well-groomed, and they'll have stable marriages with beautiful, intelligent children. They're already mature believers, eager to help out with your various ministries. They make good money and are committed to tithing. And this is key, they already love our style of worship. That's a stranger we can work with. And it's not an unnatural feeling. Uh, I'll bet every one of us has been lectured in our youth about stranger danger, right? Uh, There is wisdom in being cautious about people you don't know, but no one minds a stranger who already kind of fits with the program for the same reason that there's a difference between some creep trying to talk to my daughters at work and a stranger who's tall, dark, and handsome, and flirtatious. Like, that's a difference, right? It's a difference of degree. Uh, The challenge of hospitality is welcoming those who don't fit the ideal. 
And let's be honest, we all know enough about people to realize that no one is ideal. Everyone has baggage. Everyone has problems. Everyone is needy. And furthermore, almost none of them want to be here to begin with. Reverend Green had a mantra that he taught his campus ministers. He reminded us during the Bible study training last week, just to get through their thick heads. What was it? Nobody wants to come to your Bible study. Nobody wants to come to your Bible study. (laughs) This was obviously designed to uh, really encourage the campus ministers uh, to let them know that getting people in the door was going to require work. I've got news for you. Nobody wants to come to your church. Nobody wants to come to your church. Given the choice between sleeping in until football starts or waking up early to sit through an hour and a half service, 99.9% of Americans would prefer to stay home. And some of that is a problem of cultural shift that's beyond us in some respects, right? Church attendance has been declining for years. That didn't start recently. And I know because I've been trying to invite people politely by dropping hints and suggestions. Hey, hey, we're always open. Here's when we start service and this kind of thing, right? It doesn't work. People in this culture are no longer interested in church. They're not even curious about it. So we have a cultural problem that's not easily solved. But there can also be another problem, and that's that I'm not sure that we always want people to come to our church. I've said it before, but new people means altering demographics. Uh, People are all unique. Every individual is unique. Nobody fits the mold. Strangers never do. And so more people, strangers, will tend to alter the dynamics and culture of a church, especially a small one like ours. And we don't necessarily like that idea. So is Lehigh Valley Presbyterian a hospitable church? We're a very unique church with our own culture, and that's okay. Every church is unique. But if you're going to be unique, you better be ready to go the extra mile on hospitality. Our culture and style in this church is very unique within the PCA. That's not a news flash, But, uh, beloved, I have had multiple people in this church tell me when we first came here that, well, it's going to take a lot of getting used to, but after a few months, you'll come to like it. That's not really hospitality. That's telling the stranger and the alien to assimilate first, and then they'll like it. If our position is that if a visitor doesn't like what we do, they don't need to come here, well, that's true, and they won't. It's not hospitality. That kind of attitude will mean death for this church. Why? Because nobody wants to come to your church. And saying that's just fine with us is not only inhospitable, it's contrary to the word of God. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not saying we need to change 
and overhaul everything just to make strangers happy. God forbid. That's pandering. It's wrong. It won't work. It's not right. Worshiping God is always countercultural. It will always be unpopular, but we don't need to go out of our way to make it more awkward. We want to go above and beyond to be hospitable. We don't want to be the church of the closed door. Hospitality is not rocket science, uh, but it does require effort, and many of you have been doing so, and I, and I would credit you. I mean, basic things. Joe out there blowing the leaves and making sure there's a, a clean path, and it looks like people live here and worship here. Like, that's nice. Thank you, Joe. I have been thrilled that Joan started back up our greeters list. <laughs> it's a little thing, it seems like, right? But it's critical. Uh, which of you, if you go to visit somebody's house, you go to a party at somebody's house, why wouldn't you expect somebody to say hello? Like, even Walmart has this figured out, right? This is also why we started a coffee hour on Sundays. It's 30 minutes, the fastest hour of the week. <laughs> but there was some concern expressed early on that coffee hour would be an added expense. We would run the risk of spills. Uh, we would generally create more work for lots of people. All of this was true. And the question was raised, why can't people drink their coffee at home and just come prepared to worship? Why do they need snacks and coffee and tea and hot chocolate? Like, isn't Jesus enough of a draw for them? And that sounds reasonable, even righteous. But, beloved, even Jesus himself didn't take that line. How often we find him in the Gospels feeding massive crowds. Why? Because he had compassion on them. They're not starving, they're not going to die but they're discomforted, so he has compassion. It's the disciples, ever practical, who are looking at the budget, who suggest that Jesus send the crowds home to go get something to eat. And Jesus says, nah, you guys feed them. Multiple times in the Gospels, we see Jesus miraculously feeding the masses, not to solve world hunger, and not just to remind them of Moses, but out of compassion. It's because he loves strangers. Hospitality is part of what Jesus does. It's in his character. It's who he is. Coffee hour is not just a nice thing to do or a way to keep you awake during the sermon. Those are nice side benefits. But coffee hour is about hospitality. It's imitating Christ by providing a resting place for the visitor who was running late, couldn't find the lot, almost didn't bother coming, dragged themselves in, yelling at the kids, all flustered, and still hasn't had their morning coffee. It is Christ-like to say, welcome, take a deep breath, have a seat, can I get you a cup of coffee? That's Christ-like. Jesus doesn't despise people for being hungry or even needing coffee. It's important enough that I wasted half of Sunday school hunting down cream. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes in the whole New Testament is in John 21, where Jesus is literally making breakfast for his disciples. <laughs> this is why we sang that campy hymn that we did just a little bit ago. It was very seaside home, wasn't it, Ma? 
But Jesus likes to eat with his people. And this is why I consider dessert and coffee to be a requirement at Lehigh Valley Church's Bible studies. When we start those back up in January, that tradition will continue. Why? Because Jesus does say, come and dine, not just formally at this table, but all the time. Georgia said that one of the speakers at the Women in the Word conference a few weeks ago observed that there is not one chapter of Luke's gospel that fails to mention food or eating. I didn't double-check the whole thing. I got fatigued with it, but it held true as far as I could get. Jesus had a reputation for eating with people. He was frequently criticized for it, not just the fact that he enjoyed a meal, but the company he kept while doing so. He was the kind of guy who liked to do, as we say, hanging out. That's why he says in Luke chapter 7, he says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's his reputation. <coughs> but hospitality also requires something subtle, that, that, that smile I was talking about. Because hospitality doesn't make people feel awkward or guilty for being here. If you serve me a meal at your house or if you let me spend the night at your house but you're constantly sighing and moaning about how much work you're having to do to make this happen, that's not hospitality. Hospitality that makes you feel stupid or like an outsider is not hospitality. This also has practical applications for the church this is partly why we started printing weekly liturgies complete with the hymn lyrics. Why? It's not impossible to open a hymnal or check in the bulletin for the hymn number or whatever, but we wanted visitors to be able to find everything in one place without getting lost. It's why we've been paring back on some of the King James English in the, in the liturgies. It's why we changed the, uh, the creed. Uh, it, it's also why, I mean, it's partly why we dropped some of the Latin headings. Uh, it was originally to save space and paper. Uh, but were they sinful or wrong? No, of course not. Do some of us understand Latin? Maybe. But I'm willing to bet some people in this zip code don't. And it's not hospitable to speak a foreign language in front of guests. I'll give you a for instance. I don't know that my mother-in-law actually listens to these sermons. If she's hearing this, I'm sorry, Ma. Uh, my mother-in-law is a sign language interpreter, kind of like Rachel does. And uh, so she's obviously fluent in American sign language. Georgia has learned enough sign language over the years that she can be conversational with her mom. But there have been times in my marriage where my mother-in-law will start signing to Georgia while I'm sitting there. And I can't help but wonder what they're saying about me. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's something, but it's obvious they've cut me out for some reason. And it drives me crazy. It makes me feel like I'm out of the loop. Likewise, it is rude to make people feel isolated and unwelcome on a Sunday. Some things will always feel unnatural about worship, but we should make a full-fledged effort to remove unnecessary barriers. That means explaining things. It means not taking things for granted. We can't just assume that people will figure things out. Hospitality also means making people physically comfortable. 
Now, we're not a hotel. We don't provide beds, but there's a reason why we heat the building in winter and cool it in summer and why the bathrooms need to be clean and why it's nice that the seating is comfortable, that we have padded pews, right? It's also why I've spent time talking about the future of this building. I, I think we've done wonderful work in this building. I think this is a good building. I think this is a beautiful sanctuary. But we do also have nearly 20 steps out front that are making this place more and more prohibitive for some of our members and for some visitors to get in the door on Sunday. And we have parking, but not all of our visitors know where to find it. The alley is a death trap if it gets icy in winter. And can we work around those things? Yeah, we've done it for 35 years, and please God, we could do it for 35 more. What hospitality demands is that we ask the question of whether we should. It's not about whether we like the building or not. I think it's been a terrific blessing, but hospitality might mean finding one that will better suit the mission of reaching more people for Christ. Point is, is that the gospel is offensive enough to the world today, and we don't want to add additional barriers to hearing and to understanding. I've mentioned before that The Music Man is probably my favorite musical. I love that movie. Uh, Meredith Wilson, who wrote that play, uh, intended it partly as a critique of his Iowa hometown and, and upbringing. One of the themes of the story is that this quaint town of River City, it's fictional, is so terribly backward and inhospitable. And so there's an entire song early on in the show that demonstrates this, and the, the, the name of the tune is called Iowa Stubborn. And uh, it goes something like this. You know, there's nothing halfway about the Iowa way to treat you when we treat you, which we may not do at all. Join us at the picnic. You can eat your fill of all the food you bring yourself. What the heck? You're welcome. Glad to have you with us, even though we may not ever mention it again. It's a caricature. It's a very funny song. But it's not the way the body of Christ is supposed to behave. The more we feel like a secret club, the more we alienate strangers and isolate ourselves. But we are not the Freemasons. This is not our private club. It belongs to Jesus. He's the club president. And he commands us to show hospitality because as we are discussing in Sunday school, he's relational. He likes people. He likes strangers. Now, some of you may object. What strangers? We actually have a handful of visitors this morning. It's good to have you with us. But it's true that probably a lot of the weeks we don't have complete strangers in our midst. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't be prepared for them. But there's a reason why when I wanted to read this passage and cover this passage, I included verse 1. Because what does it say? Let brotherly love continue. Literally, Philadelphia. The author of Hebrews says that love of strangers starts with brotherly love. Love of brother. And notice again that he says, let it continue. Brotherly love should be a given. You can't love strangers if you aren't even loving each other. Hospitality comes from the overflow of love for each other. We practice on each other so that we're ready for the outsiders. And I think we probably have a ways to go on that front too. I think we love each other, but we don't always show it in the most tangible ways. I know, we're all, a lot of us are, are, are introverts, I know. But this is why in the vision we emphasized fellowship. 
It's why we do the potlucks on, on Super Sundays and everything else. You know, if, if you've read or seen The Fellowship of the Ring, you know what the fellowship is, right? It, the fellowship is more than a friendship, isn't it, right? It, it's a brotherhood that's on a mission together. Well, this is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Maybe we could do more to act like it. And I've been convicted this week thinking about people who could use brotherly love, people I need to visit, people I need to spend time with that I've been failing to. Not to put anybody on the spot, and I don't want to embarrass them. How many of you have made a point of sharing a meal with Mr. and Mrs. Hansel? Not Phil and Pat. I mean Jason and Ivy. The newlyweds who have not had a functional kitchen since they tied the knot. I bet they would appreciate dinner and some encouragement at some point. How about some of our other newest members, the Hayes family? Andrew McDonald joined us recently. We're all excited to have them, so why not have lunch and get to know them better? And again, I hold myself accountable here, too. I've been feeling personally convicted of my failures here, so I am sorry, guys. I screw up my bad. Let's hang soon. You guys, too. Beloved, we need to practice loving each other so that we're ready to love strangers better. But the author of Hebrews gives us an added incentive to show hospitality. What does he say there? He says that for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I'll be honest, that's kind of a weird reason on the face of it. It seems more whimsical than practical. Most commentators observe that this is probably a reference to Genesis 18 when Abraham served a huge lunch to three strangers, one of whom turned out to be the Lord in disguise. And on that occasion, Abraham acted like a very good host. He showed extreme hospitality, really bends over backwards. And in the end, the Lord rewarded him by promising him a son. He says, I'll stop by next year and you'll have one. Now, how often is that likely to happen? The author of Hebrews seems to be insinuating that this has happened many times. But he mentions no examples in the text. He just kind of breezes by. But you know... Jesus, I think, actually explains what the meaning of this is. He says in Matthew 25 that when we show hospitality, we not only might entertain angels, we might entertain him. Matthew 25, he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or feed you, or thirsty, and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. The least of these my brothers. Beloved, this is not just some chance occurrence that an angel might show up if we keep doing this. It is a 100% chance that Jesus will. Calvin says, not mere angels are received, but Christ himself when we receive the poor in his name. Beloved, we can't disciple the nations without loving strangers, but the purpose of hospitality is not primarily to grow the church. 
It's not a marketing gimmick. Hospitality is how we serve Christ. It's giving Jesus the welcome that he richly deserves, but he never got on earth. It's our golden opportunity to welcome him properly, and surely that is a worthy goal. A lot more could be said on the topic of hospitality. I'm not going to go any further here today. But, beloved, we are almost to Advent. Don't look now. The Christmas music is already starting. But starting in two weeks, our theme will become Welcoming Christ. And we will be talking more about hospitality because, you know, when you read the Gospels, one of the things that strikes you is that Jesus, throughout his ministry, is always inviting himself over. He's seldom playing host at his house, right? He's traveling. But he invites himself into people's homes. He frequently invites himself to dinner. And then people get saved and the kingdom grows. But all of that starts with the incarnation because Jesus invited himself into our world and into our lives. And he didn't get much of a royal welcome, if you'll recall. But he stayed anyway. And he died and he was raised to redeem his people. He has given us everything Hospitality should be our natural reaction. So let's love Christ by loving strangers and loving each other. What do you say? Let's pray. Gracious God, our Father, we confess, all of us, that none of us are as hospitable as we could be where we want to identify as being hospitable, but none of us really love the stranger. We're suspicious of strangers. Reluctant to play too much of our hand with them. Not eager to let them in too deeply. But Lord, we see how hospitality does really act as the oil moving the gears of the gospel here throughout the New Testament. Lord, we pray that you would teach us to have your love for the stranger. And moreover, help us to have your love for each other. Train us, Lord, in hospitality. Train us to love one another and to love the stranger. Show us what that looks like. Let the gospel play out in our lives. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please stand and join me in singing the doxology.